0: Larry, who? Never heard of her.
1: What sort of a man is he?
0: Dick from Bama.
1: A man like any other, but more
0: so. I thought he was dead. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Let's light this candle.
1: Welcome in to the Larry Alex Taunton Show. I am Amy Beth Shaver here with Larry Alex Taunton. (laughs) And, you know, here's the question. Where have you been?
0: You know, I've been in South America. And as you can hear my voice, I have come back sick. Or at least, you don't have to worry, but at least with a a pretty substantial chest cold. But yes, I have. It's been a very interesting um, bit of traveling and... um, We'll factor into some future articles, things I'm working on.
1: Did you have a good trip? Did it? You get a lot done.
0: Um, you know, I did uh, a few interviews when I was down there. I got a, a, a an article written. But probably not one of my best just because I wasn't feeling, you know, real well when I was down there. So I spent a lot of time, you know, more time sleeping and laying in bed and, you know, that kind of stuff. But anyway, but yeah, it was an overall, it was a good trip.
1: Good. So even though you were sick, you got, I mean, look, I think your article was fantastic. Appreciate it. And we will use that today um, to talk. But when you go down there, and I know that you go there a lot, you and Lori do, are there favorite places to eat or their must-visit spots each time that you go?
0: Yeah, I I I develop relationships almost everywhere that I go. And I'm adventurous with, you know, Lori would say to you that I live an Indiana Jones kind of life, but not when it comes to my palate. So when it comes to eating, I am definitely not an adventuresome, you know, kind of guy. I find something good and I stick with it. You know, do you ever do you and Chris ever do this where we go out to eat? I ordered the same thing, and Lori says, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that. But it ends up her going, You know, I should have had what you had. <laughs> yes,
1: we call that order panicking. <laughs> yes, um, I'll order the same thing, and Chris will try something new, and then he'll end up eating my dinner. But I think it's just a thing, I yeah. think it's you know, you get used I, to it after I a while. I stick
0: with uh, if I find a good restaurant, I'm going to wear it out. I find a good, you know, I find a meal that I like, I'm going to wear it out.
1: And I've just learned today that you hate fish.
0: Yeah, I absolutely hate seafood.
1: So nobody ever give any seafood recommendations because no. it's like Don't not even going to happen. Don't even
0: next to me. The smell of it alone nauseates okay. me. Okay.
1: All right. I mean, you learn something new every day. <laughs> uh, so I'm glad, I'm glad that trip was well and it went well. But you said, and you are correct, that you guys left and it was spring And you came back, and it's like the dead of summer.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. When we (laughs) left here, you know, sitting out on our porch was so nice. It was in the 70s, 80s in the evenings, you know, down in the 60s. And you come back two weeks later, and it's just like we've walked straight into Hades. you know. So, wow. Don't know what happened when we were gone, but spring has definitely sprung and moved on.
1: Well, it feels like you can, I don't know, I have a hard time breathing when it's this hot, yes. you know, um, you get back from a morning walk and you think, Oh my gosh, this is going to be a very hot summer. Yeah.
0: And I, I'm, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a man in that I sweat, you know, so by the time I get to my car, I'm already, you know, starting to perspire. So, um, yes, I don't like it when it's uh, this, this hot, at least not when you're trying to look nice. Yeah. You know, I totally. If you're going understand. to a speaking engagement and you're trying to, trying to look good. It just doesn't look good when your sports coat you know has a, you know has a wet spot. You know that just doesn't look <laughs> that, good. that
1: looks bad. That's not a... It
0: just just doesn't look good. <laughs> Who
1: wants that? But in the south I guess you kind of get used to it. You make yep. peace. You make your peace with it. Yes. As best you can. So on today's show we are going to tackle the whole issue of guns. And I think that your article laid it out very well. And we will use that as a jumping off point because I think it explains some things that people have had that bother them. Yeah. You lay them out in such a way that's very interesting, but you also bring a little history into massacres that are horrific no matter when and where they've happened. Yeah. But I think the history of massacres and what weapons were used is also fascinating because it's not exactly what you think it might be.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but before that... We have a segment that you invented.
0: Yes, yes. Well, it is um, it is time for the ABS, the automatic braking system. And um, Amy Beth Shaver, um, what are you applying the brakes to today?
1: I'm literally applying to the brakes to something in your car.
0: My car um, or all it, cars? Just
1: all cars. <laughs> okay. And as a driver, you drive internationally. We've driven internationally. It's terrifying. I don't care where you do it, especially in Florence, Italy, where the little bikes just zoom past you. Yeah. We, we ended up with two tickets um, the last time we traveled, so we'll never drive there again. But in the U.S., this is specifically the U.S., I would like it if people would begin to use their turn signals. Ah, This is Quite annoying to me that <laughs> no one uses their turn signals, and to on top of that, we are distracted when we drive. Yeah, um, I don't know about you. You
0: mean because of this?
1: Because of our phone. So yeah. it's like a, it's, it's like a twofer. It is please use yeah. your turn signal, but also could you please get off of your phone? Yeah. I've had to travel a lot the last few weeks. One of our girls is in West Virginia, and so to go up and get her and come back is a whole thing. So I find myself still using my turn signal at night and not being on my phone. But I noticed that there's a good number of people that are on their phone. So I'd like to, just for the the rest of humanity, ask people if they if they could just become better drivers.
0: I'm guessing there's some kind of Something that triggered this. I mean, is there a is there a specific episode? Yes. Yesterday. That you have in mind?
1: Yesterday, we're <laughs> at a light, and I'm turning in simply to go get a few things, and there's a person that nearly waits through the entire light because they're on their phone.
0: Yeah, I lay on my horn.
1: Do you lay? Okay, so you don't even give a courtesy like beep. You're, no, you're going to go ahead, lay it on beep.
0: your. You know, actually. I would like to invent. I think I could make millions off of this. Frankly, you
1: heard it here I, first, everybody. I,
0: yes, yes. If anybody else does this, I get I get royalties to this. I think you know how your you know the, the the center of your steering wheel is the is the horn. It's hard to give a little bit of a tap, you know, because it's it is it you you often come out you know angrier than you intend to be. So I think there should be a smaller little you know round one that you can hit. It kind of gives a sort of little friendly cutesy. <laughs> You know, that okay, yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. And then we escalate, you know, to the bigger one. But the one, one of them is just kind of saying, hey, wake up. The light is green. It's time to go. Um, oh, hey, there's a friend of mine, you know, versus the, right, you know, right. it comes out just a little bit too angry. So I feel like that's an invention that should fund this organization in perpetuity off of that. I think it would work.
1: I think it would work. I would buy it.
0: I think I mean, it be, I, pay for I think it. should come you know as a standard feature on all vehicles. Well, you just hit say. that little you just hit that little button. But yes, I'm I'm an extremely impatient man, and um, so I don't like waiting for anything. I tend to be in a hurry almost everywhere I go. I'm the guy at the grocery store. There's three people in front of me, and that line has two. I'm moving over to that one. Oh, they just opened another register. I'm moving down to that one. So I'm that way when I'm in line. I'm I'm that is you know at a stoplight. I'm ready. I'm ready to go.
1: Well, you know what? It's funny you say that. I I'm finding myself becoming increasingly impatient when driving, and Chris has noticed. Like, calm down! Like, he's having to talk me off the ledge yeah. when we're driving. But I really think it's, it's usually the other way around. I know. It really, it, like, yeah. he's a good driver, and I am becoming impatient. And I think it's because people are on their phone, yeah. and I'm having to wait. And I just need—I've got ten minutes in between, whatever I need. So anyway, so that's my ABS of the week. Is it's a
0: good one? Please I like use that. your
1: turn signal, and please, in addition. Could you just It's, it's really a public, a, a
0: PSA. This it is, is a PSA. This it is, is. Yeah. This is a PSA. Yeah. People out there, um, be better drivers. Yeah. Yes. So Great. you're
1: welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm with you all on that. the things. Um, all right. So you also have another segment because it's the Larry Alex Taunton show <laughs> that I enjoy that you invented a few weeks ago, and we're going to try it today. And I think it's important because it it's right on the line. Is it Christian? Or is it Christian-ish? Yeah. Tell me what your thinking was behind that.
0: Yeah, I uh, well, actually, it kind of happened spontaneously in our last episode because we were talking. I don't even remember what we were talking about. Maybe we were talking about intersectionality or um, you know social justice. But I said to you, I think it seduces a lot of Christians because I, at first I said Christian e, hmm. and I said no, no, no. Um, let's say Christian-ish. And I thought, uh, you know, that could actually be a very interesting kind of segment in a show is, um, you know, we treat it like a game show, you know, question, is it Christian or (laughs) Christian-ish? And, uh, you know, because, (laughs) and by Christian-ish, I mean, it sounds Christian, it maybe even looks Christian, but it actually isn't Christian. And I think we're seeing a lot of that in the culture these days, you know, more than ever, where a lot of stuff... Uh, is packaged in a way that sounds and feels and maybe even uses the same language, but that at the end of the day, it has no biblical foundation. Hmm. So Christian or Christian-ish?
1: Okay, so we could use one of the ones we talked about before the show, or this is popping into my head right now because you marked this down as something that was interesting to you, is the idea of tithe as a tax.
0: Ah, Yes. Well, yeah, that's actually a very good one because there are a lot of people who will say, they tend to be progressives, who will say that, you know, increases in taxation to give to the poor, that that's like a tie. That's a Christian thing to do. We should want to pay more taxes in order to help the in order to help the poor. I've seen this actually for quite some time. Some years ago, in the state of Alabama, I think I'm not sure how long ago this was. Maybe 20 years ago, Governor um, Bob Riley was um, campaigning to to raise taxes. Um, uh, what I want to say, um, you know, your land taxes, your uh, property taxes, and uh, he said, you know, just raise it x mill, um, so that it would go to education, and so the that he had someone going around stumping for him on this. Uh, she was a graduate of Beeson Divinity School, and she was saying that Jesus would vote yes. Mm-hmm. Well, that immediately got my back up because I thought, no, no Jesus wouldn't. And you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to make this sound like an increase in taxes um, to, for education, that this is the Christian thing to do. And that's Christian-ish. It's not actually Christian. And what I mean by that is that your the state, when when with your taxes, the state absolutely, you know, amputates the gospel from your money. Right. So if if let's say an increase in taxes is to help the poor, and almost never is that actually um, the case, it's going to enrich. You know, someone else, or for 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 some other shady project. But let's just suppose that it is. You know, that we all are giving X ex amount. You know, um, in uh, in taxes that is to go to um, to help the poor. Well, the first thing that the state would do is to to lop off. You know, any kind of um, idea that, that this has anything to do with Jesus Christ or being a Christian. They want the state to be seen as your God. The state is giving this to you. You should be grateful to the state. Well, as Christians, no, we, we, we render to Caesar what we ought to render to Caesar. But when I'm giving to someone, it is important that they understand the, the, the gospel motive behind that. That I'm doing it because my Lord has been very generous to me and He's commanded me to be generous to other people, that I'm motivated to do that um, for a spiritual reason. The gospel is always coupled with it. It's never divorced from it. And so when we're 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 trying to make taxes, you know, something that is coming from the state sound like it's a Christian thing, it isn't a Christian thing because there's no gospel in it at all and that's that's not what biblical giving looks like.
1: Thank you for that because I think it is a common statement. Yeah. And people are tripped up by it because it does it sounds good but yeah. we wear what sounds good when in actual practice it, it is a volitional act. Yes. And I think the Lord is that's always right looking there. at our heart Say that always word again. volitional. Yes always looking at our heart as individuals we're not collectively entering the kingdom it's one by one that we are saved by grace but that giving has to be out of the overflow of our heart and i think that's an excellent explanation um all right so up next we are going to dive into the whole gun control debate and what's going on in our country and You know, the question that you've asked in this article is, are we asking the wrong question? But to start, when we come back, what's going on? This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Welcome back into the Larry Alex Taunton Show. We're talking about guns. And the title of Larry's article is, are we asking, or we are asking the wrong question about guns, but you make a statement that I think is very interesting at the bottom of the second or third paragraph, and it says this, and I want to talk about it, is is this overarching theme coming out of our government, which is that guns are the problem, and ordinary Americans should not own them.
0: Yeah, see, right away, I, listen, I, I will, uh, anybody who's followed my work for a long time will know that I'm usually not the first guy to chime in on a topic. I like to sit back for a, a week or two or more to to ponder the issue, and um, this has been an issue that's been ongoing for quite some time, and so I've had a, had a, a lot of time to um, to reflect on it. But mass shootings are a relatively modern phenomenon, um, to meaning the last 30 years, um, in a big way, and Americans have owned guns traditionally, historically. Americans have owned guns in large quantities throughout our entire history. So, t- guns clearly are not the problem. I mean, why were we not seeing you know a- enormous mass shootings you know in, in uh, you know throughout our history? So they they've been they've been kind of recent and rare. So to me, the question isn't um, about guns. It's why suddenly, and it is suddenly, do Americans, um, many Americans, want to kill other people? That's that's the question we should be asking, and that leads us to some very interesting answers, I think.
1: I agree. And on, on the way to those answers um, is, is this, what are the arguments, though— Against guns that we're using right now,
0: yeah. the 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 arguments that Democrats are chiefly in employing in talking about, um, you know, guns, is they're they're usually saying, for instance, the Biden administration has gone all in on the argument that the Second Amendment it's outdated. The Second Amendment um, was really just about hunting. I mean people are in rural circumstances you know you didn't have a, um, a Kroger or a Publix you know people were hunting for their own that's what it was about that's sheer nonsense the um, the Constitutional Convention took place in 1787 it took place on the heels of the American War for Independence the the Revolutionary War and um, it they had very much in view that an armed, um uh, civilian population was was absolutely necessary to the preservation of freedom. And they saw it as, the, you know, the Constitution, you have to understand, they didn't really see the Constitution as granting you rights so much as recognizing rights that were innate, their, their mm-hmm. God-given rights. Mm-hmm. So um, when it came to guns, a man or a woman, they, they have the inherent right, to defend themselves. You do not have... It's in a moral law to say, you cannot own a gun. You can't own a knife. You can't own anything to defend yourself. Uh, Justin Trudeau just recently said that. You do not... I mean, this is almost a direct quotation... Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister, said that in Canada, you, Canada, you do not have the right to use a gun in self-defense. Now, to me, that's shocking because he made that statement without any hint of irony while he's flanked yes. by bodyguards. So he's followed by bodyguards who are armed. Okay, he may say, well, I don't use a gun in self-defense. No, you're surrounded by people who have guns who will use them on your behalf in self-defense situations. So to me it's 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 arrogant and it's sending the implicit message your life you're not important. I'm important. I deserve to defend myself. You don't. So I to me that is immoral. It is utterly immoral.
1: Well, and I think that that was something that we talked about pre-show is you're right. It is very ironic not only that Justin Trudeau stands there with people Flanking him On either side But our Legislative officials Stand there Our celebrities In Hollywood yes. Are all screaming Anybody That has any Sort of platform Is telling Oh no You don't You don't need a gun But my people have guns Yes exactly And so it's just Very Matthew interesting Matthew McConaughey Goes to speak I mean, <laughs> to the White
0: House Flanked By a security detail
1: I mean come on guys Like do you not Know that you look Ridiculous right now Yes Um That we must be The peons And you're the special people Yes uh, when you get that straight, I'll listen to you. Yeah, But until then, but you're right, it's immoral.
0: I, I think it's immoral. And I think, listen, the framers of our Constitution, they did not trust government. And they didn't even trust the government they were in the process of creating. That, that's a very important thing to bear in mind. And because they knew that the tendency of government was to become overpowerful and tyrannical. That all governments, if we were to start tomorrow... And with our, our our finest citizens, and colonize the moon, and to try to tweak the Constitution in order to create a government to start over, it wouldn't take long before we start trending towards tyranny again. So they knew this. So they built into the Constitution what we call checks and balances. Now we typically think of checks and balances as applying just to our three branches, uh, three branches of government, and this is how they balance each other. Um, but the Second Amendment was viewed as a vital part of the je- the checks and balances, um, you know, fail-safe, because it it's in there to always remind a government that you can't get too oppressive with your people because they might revolt. Hmm. So this was a this was a very real thing, and uh, that they that they built in there for that reason. So I'm very much in favor of people being, you know, properly trained and properly armed to defend themselves.
1: You know, when we had the kids at home for a couple of years, one of the first things we did, Chris arranged for us to take our, take our kids shooting so that they knew we're buying guns, we're going to have a safe, you're going to know how to do this. Turns out the girls are great shots, but they also understand, you know, the purpose is for self-defense. And that's what our teacher said is, if you are not going to use this to protect yourself or your family, then there's no point, right? Um, but the girls were great. They understood it. We got guns. But I think going back to the founding of our country, what's important, I believe, is that our founders understood inherently what's in the heart of man. Yes. And today we don't seem to fully grasp. And even though we're looking straight at evil and wickedness, we can't bear. To admit that the heart of man is deceptively wicked, yeah.
0: and I know we'll go point. there
1: and we'll and we'll get there, but I think that's one of the most. Well, let's su- go
0: there right now. Let's <sighs> let's go there for for just a second because you're raising a very good point. You know, it's interesting because, um, uh, listen, there there are, there are those people in with within the Christian faith, Americans who want to say that our founding was strictly Christian. It it wasn't. Mm-mm. However, there are those people on the other side who want to say that the Christian faith had absolutely nothing to do with it. That's, that is ignorant in the extreme. The, the fact is that our founding was deeply, deeply influenced by a Judeo-Christian worldview, where all the founders, um, were they all Christian? No, but they were all deeply influenced by that ethic. And uh, that comes through in our um, founding documents It's true in the the Declaration of Independence, in the uh, the Constitution, and in a lot of their own correspondence that they recognize this. But a point that you just made is our Constitution assumes that men cannot be trusted. None of us can be trusted. Uh, this is this is the truth of it. And Jeremiah seventeen nine, you know, tells us the heart is deceitful above all things. Uh, it's desperately wicked. Who who can know it? None of us can fathom the depths of our own wickedness or our potential for wickedness. And so, any one of us, given extraordinary power, we're inclined to use it. And um, you know, I was I was thinking maybe if I had more time to think on this, I would I would think of others. But I can only think of two instances in history where someone had you know, great power in their hands, you know, a world leader, a president, a prime minister, a Caesar, and walked away from it. And the only two instances I can think of are Sulla, uh, a, a Roman general who, you know, who took Rome, marched on Rome, and um, uh, became a, a kind of Caesar, a dictator, but then walked away from it. The second I would point to is George Washington, because he was so beloved, and Washington and the and the, the, um, the new American nation was so young and so fragile that if he had wanted to declare himself a king, I'm not real sure that he couldn't have done so. And and he honored, you know, the founding. He honored what the system was meant to be. And you know, we 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 were provided with those kind of extraordinary models. Who also gave us documents that uh, assume, at their core, that human beings are very corruptible, and as a result, they they need accountability. And the way a a citizenry holds their their leaders accountable isn't just with voting; it's with the threat of rebellion. Mm-hmm. Now, that will sound that will sound strong to some, but you look at what they themselves said they saw this as an important safeguard and check on on uh, on tyranny because they saw what had happened in Europe and what by the way has happened ever since in Europe they saw that the that ordinary people were disarmed and the result was that that governments became tyrannous and they treated their populations with impunity and we're seeing that now in Canada we're seeing it uh, in Western Europe. Uh, we're, we're starting to see a government inch that way in our own country. And isn't it interesting that all of a sudden there's this push to disarm the American people? Somebody who's listening to this who is arguing with me or wants to argue with me, I would, I would want to, to tell you this. I want to emphasize this. The most irresponsible gun owner is federal government.
1: Can you say that one more time?
0: The most irresponsible gun owner. It isn't the individual. It's federal government.
1: Go ahead. Tell me what you mean by that.
0: Well, um, let's just take uh, Obama's Fast and Furious. Thousands of guns sold into Mexico that were then used in massacres in Mexico, kill federal border agents um, in this country, guns that the Obama administration deliberately sold to cartels. We also know that um, this is a government, the one that wants to say, you're not allowed to own a gun. They just left $85-plus worth of state-of-the-art military hardware in Afghanistan. We know that that's, that stuff is now being sold by the Taliban Um, to to get hard currency, some of those weapons will find their way to weapons markets, illegal weapons markets in Eastern Europe, and eventually into terrorist hands, into Western Europe. Uh, This we are presently arming a deeply corrupt country in Ukraine with what forty billion Mm -hmm. um, that we just sent. Those weapons, many of those weapons are going to find their way into um, terrorist hands. So I'm not prepared to have the Biden administration lecture me on, on uh, you know, gun ownership and proper gun safety. They're absolutely the worst.
1: So what we'll do when we come back Excuse is it's, let's look at something that I really appreciated in your article, and that's this, is the different places where massacres have occurred— what type of weapons were used and if they did use guns, what type of guns and were they illegal or not? I think that's fascinating. So don't, don't go anywhere. You don't want to miss this. This is the Larry Alex Taunton show. So welcome back. Um, you know, a few years ago, you said you made your way to several of the most notorious scenes of mass murder as part of a research project. Yeah. I found that to be fascinating. Um, in Nice, 86 killed. The weapon was? A truck. Truck. Charlie Hebdo, uh, 17 killed. Yep. Now, the weapons here were very interesting because they were semi pistols, which were illegal. Yep. You had three fully automatic, they were also illegal, grenades, illegal, Molotov cocktails, illegal, rocket launchers, illegal, dynamite, illegal, one hand grenade, illegal. Yep. So this idea that we would take guns away here to prevent anything illegal from happening. Yeah, this is
0: military. This, I mean, this military is military grade. stuff. Yeah, this is military so it grade. So it's
1: exactly what you're talking about, that we left weapons behind in Afghanistan. They're going to find their way into illegal, you know, People are going to find the guns, and they're going to be used. But I found that is was very interesting. And then the Bataclan, 90 people were killed. And you had three Chinese model, 56 fully automatic AK-47s. They were illegal. And then another four fully automatic rifles. And then suicide bomb vest. I mean, this is horrific. In London, yeah. 52 people killed. Suicide bombers in Madrid, uh, Spain, a few years ago. We probably all remember that. 193 people killed. Bombs were the weapon of choice. The Stockholm shopping district: five were killed, and they used a truck. A truck. Uh, Boko Haram. There's an unknown amount of people that Thousands have been killed. Thousands killed. I mean, we can't even fathom. Thousands. Yeah. Bombs and guns. Yep. Then London: we have eight killed and a van and knives. Mm-hmm. Um, Westminster Bridge: a van. And then 9/11 planes. Yep. So it's not the world's deadliest attacks, but the idea, though, is that guns were not used at all. That that wasn't you know they were in some of them, but in many of them, you used a truck, you used knives. That wasn't even in the conversation. this suicide bests. I mean, so
0: rocket launchers.
1: Wh- when we're having the same conversation, and loss of life anywhere is horrific. Yeah. It is devastating. It wrecks a culture. It wrecks a country. That is without saying. But why do we constantly then race to the take all the guns away?
0: Well, um, it, at an emotional level, that seems like the simple solution, mm-hmm. right? Um you know, gosh, people are 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 getting killed in these uh, in these mass killings. Let's take all the guns. Um, Joe Burrow just a few days ago said we need to take away you know the crazy guns. You know these these crazy kind of guns that people have. And of course, what he he seems to be referring to there is is fully automatic you know ma- machine gun style you know weapons, and um, that that suits a Democrat narrative, but it doesn't actually fit the model of what's actually happening. Let's talk about some of the commonalities in these attacks. Now, again, as you've pointed out Amy Beth, I did make my way to a lot of these places. That was for an um, an article or two that I was writing at the time. I don't even remember who I was writing it for. And it also appeared as a chapter in uh, in my book Around the World in More Than 80 Days. Uh, I went to a lot of these different places and when I had opportunity, I was in I was um Interviewing witnesses um, to these uh, to these horrific uh, events, and certain certain themes, you know, began to emerge. First of all, as you pointed out, in those attacks with the greatest loss of life, guns were not the weapon of choice. Now, I have to tell you, finding what the weapons were that were used in uh, when you would hear guns. Finding out what those weapons were was extremely difficult to find out online because it was almost like they don't want you to actually know. I mean, did anyone know that at Charlie Hebdo they had rocket launchers and and sticks of grenades no. and and um, and uh, you know Molotov cocktails and um, uh, Kalashnikovs and uh, this kind of stuff. I didn't know that. Um, the the impression that we and listen, I've been I've been to Charlie Hebdo at least twice, maybe three times. I've read about Charlie Hebdo, wrote articles about Charlie Hebdo. The impression that I always got that was that you were always left with in any of the reports you'd read about it was that this was all exclusively about um, the kind of weapons that you could just go buy, you know, at Dick Sporting Goods. That's not what they were using. They're using weapons that were already illegal, that are fully automatic. They were also converting movie props. So they were getting movie props and converting them, and they were all coming out of government stocks, and they were coming out of um, illegal weapons markets, you see. So the idea, the narrative that you get, that this is just a guy who walks into you know his bedroom and you know pulls out a, a, a gun from a some from a side drawer and then goes on you know mass shootings. I won't say those kinds of things don't happen, but that's not what happened here. That's that isn't what happened here. This is, I think, maybe one of the reasons that that the information about the kind of weapons that were being used is being suppressed is because. It reflects poorly on the fact that the EU has not been able to enforce their existing laws. You don't need more laws. You need to enforce the ones that are on the books. These are all military-grade weapons that are being used, that are already illegal. And uh, fully automatic? I can't own a fully automatic weapon. You can't own one. They definitely can't own one in France, and yet they were managing to get their hands on them. And again, this has... A lot to do with irresponsible governments who are not keeping a, a close eye on their own weapon stocks so that's that's one of the things, but some other themes that begin to emerge is that the victims were completely defenseless
1: yeah see this is um, this is one of the most important parts is they were completely they willingly in some cases. Gave their guns away.
0: They did because being a law-abiding citizens, they weren't allowed to own them. So again, using the Bataclan um, as an example, but we could use Uvalde as an example as well, where the shooter enters into the building. Also, Columbine back in I think that was '99. Uh, that that was a fairly short um, episode, but bombs were used there as well, and the the shooters knowing. Knowing that their victims were unarmed, they could come in, empty uh, a uh, a magazine on their victims, and casually reload and go at it again, because they knew they were facing people who were unarmed. At the Bataclan, which is a concert hall in Paris, it's in the 11th arrondissement. So, for those of you who don't know, that's that's central Paris. That's I mean, millions of people live. In that proximity, you would think the police response would be very, very quick. Well, the police got there, but the police didn't immediately enter the building. It was 35 minutes before they entered the building. By that time, you know, probably north of 80 plus are already dead. Um, and the police themselves said we were wading through blood in order to get in there. There were embarrassingly how how many times have you heard this stat? There were eight off-duty police officers at the Bataclan concert hall. None of them were armed. Not one of them were armed. So part of my argument is not only not only are police late. You know, at Norway, which uh, a, an enormous uh, massacre that took place in Norway, mm-hmm. um, in, an attack that lasted roughly 95 minutes. It was 80 minutes before the police. Began to engage. Again, by that time, he's killed all kinds of people on an island where he knows they are all unarmed, and he just goes around. It's like he's shooting fish in a barrel. He's, uh, you know, he's able able to do that. So, not only is the police response slow in almost all of these instances, Uvaldi, it's more than an hour before they entered the building. But even when the police arrive, let's say fairly rapidly, they spend a lot of time trying to you know, get some intel. Where are the shooters? How many are there? What kind of weapons do they have? Where are they now? What is their methodology? What are they doing? Which is understandable. But if somebody in the building themselves is armed, they, they know all of that already and they can respond to that. And again, so that you'll understand, my point isn't that that a person on the scene is always going to be an effective responder. I'm saying that it is, it is an infinitely more effective responder. So that in Charleston, West Virginia, last week, a man shows up at a graduation party um, with a, um, an AR-15. He begins to shoot at the crowd, and a woman there who is exercising her Second Amendment rights She's concealing uh, and carrying, and she pulls out a gun and shoots him dead before anybody is injured. Now, that, that's, that's what it should look like. At the Bataclan, there's nobody armed. Nobody can respond. In Norway, no one. At the Charlie Hebdo, no one is armed. At Uvalde, no one is armed. Uh, at Columbine, no one is armed. I, you know so to me this whole idea let's disarm people further so that the woman who shot you know who 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 shot the um the assailant um, at the graduation party let's remove her gun mm-hmm. how many people will be dead there now many Many criminals are going to get those weapons. They're going to lay their hands on, on on those weapons. That's exactly what what happens in many of these instances. I mean, bombs. We I can't walk. I can't go down to Home Depot, and you know, and and buy, um, you know, uh, M4 or what's what's it called? C4. Excuse me, explosives. I, I can't do that. I can't go buy an, an an M4 machine gun. So I I can't I can't do that. These people are managing to get their hands on them through illegal dealers. And um and so disarming citizenry to me makes no sense at all.
1: It doesn't. And you know, I think it goes back we said it in the segment before, it is that the heart is deceptively wicked above all else and who can know it. Yeah. I'd rather believe the word of God over what it says about my heart than to trust People who just want to keep their job to say, oh, we're going to fix this by taking away your guns flanked with their own, you know, soldiers, whatever beside them. Um, I'm not going to believe you. And to take them away is not acceptable. But this idea that we are soft targets are going to become more and more the norm. Yeah. And I think we'll see that we've seen an increase in gun sales. But I think it's going to continue to increase as people feel increasingly unsafe in their own communities. Yeah. And that, that's, um, uh, that's horrible. Uh, well, and
0: let's just consider this. I mean, that's an important point. Gun sales are up something like 33% just during the pandemic. Now, that suggests to me that Americans do feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. They no longer have a confidence their, gov- their government will protect them. We have also seen an enormous spike In gun violence and mass shootings during the pandemic, now that to me is that that roughly you know spans the um, time the Biden administration you know has been um, in office. A lot of this we should lay at the door of the Oval Office. We need we looking at the American public and blaming the American public for what is happening I don't think is the answer I think that the what was being modeled for us at the highest levels of our government is where most of this violence is originating it's where it's coming from
1: hmm. So we'll pause here and then let's come back and why don't we talk about solutions and ideas moving forward Um, and then finish with a few more segments after that. So come back because we don't want to just talk about a problem without offering solutions and ideas. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Welcome back. So one of the questions we have is, what do you think some of the reasons are for the violence?
0: Um, Before we get to that, let's... Let's remind people why we're asking that question. Because I believe that we are asking the wrong questions in the gun debate. The debate is always about, the question being asked is always, should American own, Americans own guns? What kind of guns should they be allowed to own? Um, how many should they be allowed to own? What should be the background checks or psychological checks? Or should be, there be red flag laws? And those are all the wrong questions. The question we should be asking is why suddenly are there so many Americans who want to kill people, and that's a that's a relatively recent phenomenon, because again, Americans have owned guns and owned a lot of guns throughout their history. I, I we don't have data. There was no you know. Um, you know, a Pew Research or a Barna out there doing um, you know polls of Americans in 1780, but I would bet you the number of gun owners was much higher in 1780, in 1830, in 1860, in 1900, in 1930, in 1950 than it is today. We don't have data on that, but the point being, um, Americans have always owned guns. So the fact that we are seeing in the, let's say the last 30 years a lot of these mass shootings, the question becomes not not why America you know should Americans own guns or you know what what should be the requirement for that, but why why are we seeing these mass shootings? what has changed in the culture? And I think there are several things that we can point to um, as reasons for these mass killings. The first one I would point to is inciting violence. Mm. I mean, would you agree with yes. me that it feels like at the, the highest levels of government that we're inciting violence?
1: Yes. Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, I think you pointed out in your article that there are powerful leaders who are, you know, taunting justices on the Supreme Court. Yes. They are inviting the Charles whirlwind. Schumer. I mean, really? This is what you have to say from the podium in your bully pulpit is to invite violence? But mm-hmm. yes, you're exactly right.
0: So... We the Biden administration has been inciting it for quite some time, and we know there are, are you know um, Soros supported DAs around the country who have one just recalled in San Francisco who have refused to enforce their existing laws. I mean, listen, Chicago under Lori Lightfoot, a Democrat, Chicago has seen more than a fifty percent spike in murders, fifty percent. I mean, that's extraordinary, and that's again just in the last two years. So it's not like this has been a uh, you know a, a problem throughout our entire history. It's a fairly recent thing, and homicides are up forty four percent nationally, forty four percent nationally, and that's because you have so many of these Democrat um, uh, DAs who are refusing to uh, to enforce the law um 18 out of the top 20 most dangerous cities in america are run by democrat mayors there's no there's no mistake in this meaning this is this kind of relates to a topic that we i think talked about in in the last show which is cultural marxism and cultural marxism is about causing disruption right you want to cause disruption so there has been um an unwillingness to punish violence. And the fact that you're not punishing violence is a de facto encouragement of violence. We saw this in Ferguson. We saw it in, uh, you know, taking place in Portland for months and months where there seemed to be no effort to do anything about this. We, we have seen a sudden desire to punish this, the, the whole January 6th thing, which is a big nothing relative to what we saw going on around the country for more than a year, where cities were being burned to the ground, billions in damage being done, um, north of, what, maybe 20 people who were murdered, and where it seems there's no effort to seek out the murderers, no effort to punish them. This is inciting violence. So it's natural that there would be an increase in violence where there's lawlessness and where the rule of law is not being upheld. So that's the first thing I would point to. What are the reasons for why Americans want to kill other people now? Because violence is being incited. It's being encouraged from the highest level. The second thing, which relates to the first, is defund the police. Yes. Absolutely. I mean how can you complain about a police response when you've been running an unrelenting campaign of defund the police, attacking the police? Um, so again, this is a kind of way of inciting violence. We're not punishing criminals. We're going after police forces. We're telling them that they can't use force. We're telling them that, um, you know, if you use your weapon in a, a way that we think is even remotely questionable, you'll likely be, you know, tried and crucified, you know, publicly. I was speaking to two Portland, Oregon police officers who told me they both decided to retire, and they said it was because you couldn't drive a block without seeing people defecating, you know, on the sidewalk. Um, they said this is very common in Portland, and um, and they said that um, you know there had been a, an enormous spike, which we know statistically, in violent crime and in theft, and that they were not being empowered to enforce the law because they said that. You know, we arrest someone, and they're immediately back out onto the street, just immediately, and um, we're actually being told, you know, to to kind of hold back and to not enforce um, the law. Uh, so it's no surprise that there's been a spike in gun sales, and I think it's because Americans feel, you know, uh, they they feel unsafe and they feel like, you know, can I really can I really count on the police if I call nine one one? And there's an intruder in my property or something like that. Will they defend me? And I think most Americans feel like the answer to that question is no.
1: Well you think about the couple during the riots that defended their property, I think it was in Missouri, on their front porch. And they were they were prosecuted. Yes. you know, I think he's out of jail now, but that the idea that you were defending what is yours, and then you were punished for it is ludicrous. Yeah, more power to them.
0: More power to them. Third thing I would point to is irrational lockdowns. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about mental health, and you actually raised, you know, off air, you know, the issue of you know um, drug use and mm-hmm. things like that affecting this, which is a which is a whole other angle that's um, that's quite interesting to explore. But listen, I think the 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 lockdowns were irrational. I think they're unreasonable for loads of reasons that I've mentioned on previous episodes of this show, but one of them is that we know that it leads to a spike in mental um, illness. Isolating people, we're not meant to function like that. That's we right. we don't function like that. People need sunshine. They need air. They need... Um, you know, human interaction, human touch. I will also say that there's been an unrelenting campaign which relates to this, an unrelenting campaign of hysteria and fear. Do you live your life a little more anxiety now than you did three years ago?
1: I think some people would say they do for sure.
0: I think a lot of people feel a lot more anxious now. They feel more anxious about their future, about their food supply, um, about their jobs. Um, about their health,
1: baby formula, gas, yes, everything, the
0: economy, all of that is uh, is leading to a spike. Do you remember that movie back in I don't know if it's the early '90s or the late '80s that was called Falling Down with yes. Michael Douglas? Yes. Do you remember that? I do remember. And that. It, the, the premise of that movie was he um, sitting in traffic in L.A. and the beads of sweat, are, you know, are are gathering on his forehead and. And um, it's it's hot, and the uh, he's feeling stressed, and he finally snaps, and he goes and you know buys all this you know military grade you know weaponry, and goes on a shooting rampage um, all over the place. And uh, you know the funny scene in that being where he's holding, he goes in and orders a cheeseburger or something, and he gets it, and it's wilting in his hand, and he says to the guy you know behind the counter. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't this look like that? You know, he points up at the screen, and, <laughs> and the guy's a little surly with him, and he pulls out a shotgun and starts blowing everything away. Uh, that's the image that we have. Um, and in some ways, it fits insofar as we have seen a tremendous spike. The Journal of American um, Medicine, the uh, the JAMA Network Open, as it's called, They did a study on this, and they've they've come to the conclusion that mass shootings have soared during the pandemic. And they said this, the COVID-19 pandemic imposed sudden and additional psychological and financial strains across society through fear of death, social isolation, economic hardship, and general uncertainty. That is 100% true. And so... That people have responded irrationally mm-hmm. to irrational measures taken against them shouldn't come as a great surprise to us. Mm.
1: So you also mentioned though that there's a war on God.
0: I did, and let me let me say this, Amy Beth, on on that the whole mental health issue. I have no data on this, um, but I am certain a major factor in all of this. Uh, has to do also with the fact that people are spending, particularly young people. We oh, do yes. know this are spending far more time online. Yes. So because of lockdowns, or you know, we're past lockdowns right now. Though they'll try to bring them back, you know, to force you know mail in ballots. You know, as we as we approach um, the uh, the midterms uh, this this November, um, we do know though that still that there's a lot of online learning. There's a lot of um, you know, people working at home and these kinds of situations are still not normal. And, in, in, you know, here in the South, we, we experience, its our experience is different than what's happening in a lot of other parts of the world, I can tell you, as a result of, uh, of, of my traveling. And more and more time is being spent. I think I read somewhere... That um, youth, adolescents, are, their time online has doubled wow. during the pandemic, and how much of that time is spent in the dark corners, mm-hmm. you know, of of the internet, um, it, which has led to a a kind of pandemic and adolescent depression and anxiety. Yes. So, you know, people need to get out. You know they they need to engage in healthy activities. They need to engage with other people. They the, the, these are these are real problems that have have occurred as a result of government of irrational government measures mm.
1: so then let's visit with this issue which is i think the most profound is that there is a war against god
0: yeah and to me this is really the heart of the issue yeah. isn't it yes um, it is it really it comes back to it i mean you would think that since we're faced with so many mass shootings, maybe somebody should just hang a, a sign on the wall that says, thou shalt not kill. But of course, that would be illegal. Right. You can't do that. Let's not go there. You can't do that, having drag queens no. um, and whatnot. And by the way, um, again, when we start asking the question, why do so many people feel the need, so many Americans feel the need to kill their fellow man, um, mass shootings are are no more a symptom of a sick society than are drag queens twerking for preschoolers uh, meaning that these mass shootings are taking place in a in an atmosphere of general moral degeneracy it's across the board and it, it's not like the rest of our society looks very healthy and that um, everything else looks good, and oh wow, weird! You know, we have these mass shootings. No, we are seeing, we have seen the mainstreaming of homosexuality, the mainstreaming of every LGBTQ plus agenda. You can think about. We are seeing the mainstreaming of Marxism. Uh, we are seeing, and as a result, we are also seeing spikes in suicides, spikes in violent crimes, spikes in shootings, uh, spikes in depression, spikes in anxiety. All of these things. So, there, it, it, the the patient, um, the, the heart of America itself is diseased and sick right now. And mass shootings are just one symptom of that. And Democrats want to say that the rest is okay. Everything else I just mentioned, that stuff, there's nothing wrong with what we're seeing with, you know, these these you know drag queen shows, you know, for preschoolers. That's all good and healthy, but we need to stop the mass killings. Now, all this stuff is related, and it's related to the fact that we've driven God from the public square, from the public space, um. Absolute moral laws are no longer assumed to exist. So it's become a kind of anything-goes um, yes. kind of, uh, of, of culture. And listen, um, when you are running a campaign of defund the police, and police exist to enforce the law, and you're also run, running a decades-long war on God who gives motivation— to obey the law, should we really be shocked by this downward spiral that we're seeing in culture? So we really need to see um, a, a serious spiritual revival in our country.
1: I agree, because I think you, you know, before we move on, I think something that you brought up in the article also is that and I want to make sure I get this right. It was the atheist, the greatest mass murderers of all times were atheist.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're, you know, I.
1: That's very interesting. In listing
0: all of these in the article, I list all of these um, sites of terrorist attacks, you know, that I've visited or mass killings. Right. And um, all of them were perpetrated by Muslims. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless I give the impression that Muslims are the, um, you know, that 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 religion or ideology is the most dangerous ideology, it isn't, Um, isn't even close. Uh, Secularism, which is uh, a philosophy unto itself, secularism, which has has its roots in, you know, in atheism, um, it is by far the most insidious worldview. And that has taken, you know, as the Christian faith, I've just said that God is being driven out of the public space. Well, that's being replaced by a very aggressive secularism. And a secularist is very dangerous because he's either he's either a nihilist or he's a utopian. And both are extremely dangerous. So we see a little bit of both in our culture. You know, uh, this world economic forum types, those are the utopians. Those are the people. I saw an article. I, I wish I could, I could reference where I saw it. I just was reading uh, a few headlines about it, but it, it was speaking in uh, you know the language of utopia that you will see the rise of new cities that are going to be built that are modern cities made for the modern person, for the work at home person. That's that are truly environmentally friendly and all this. It was creepy. It's very this. creepy. And they're talking, you know, like they're going to wipe the the board clean and start all over again with their their utopian ideology. Those ideologies that have left the most body bags, which are two, fascism and communism. And by communism, I mean socialism, Marxism. Those are all variants um, on on a theme. Those have by far left the most body bags, and they did it in the 20th century. Collectively, they killed roughly 150 million people in that. And, and communism killed mm, about 125 million of those people. So communism has killed by far the most, and yet somehow that ideology is treated as, you know, somewhat okay. And it's that we really have to be worried about these extreme right wingers, fascists, you know, this kind of thing. It's not fascism that's that's the real threat in this country. And that might be a future show to talk about the the differences between the, those two because there are some great similarities uh, in them. But anyway, all of that is just by way of saying that what they have in common is godlessness, utter godlessness, and that they believe that they can create utopian societies. And they're ideologues. And, and I define an ideologue as this. An I- ideologue is someone who believes their ideas matter more than people. You're so devoted to your environmental scheme that you don't care what it does mm-hmm. to other people. You think of yourself as being very, very moral. And what you're doing is utterly immoral to human beings. Right. But you're so dedicated to that thing. Or to, to your animal rights advocacy, which becomes extremely immoral in which in Romans 1, Paul you know is predicting this is what happens when you suppress belief in God, he then says it leads to the worship of of animals. I mean have we seen that? Yeah. So where you're worshiping animal life above that of human life because you become unhinged and you see that or as we're seeing in our, our own society, they believe that it is because they don't believe in a God that will judge them in the next life for their actions in this one. We are seeing a media and a government and their allies and culture, they think it's okay to smear you, to mischaracterize you, to censor you, to mistreat you, to cancel you, knowing that those things are wicked and wrong But they justify them because they, they, you know, to borrow a line from Machiavelli's The Prince, the end justifies the means. So I'm justified in doing that to you because it's for the greater good of society. Mm. Think of how wicked that is.
1: It's very wicked and very narcissistic. I mean, that's where we're living. But you're right, a revival. Is the answer, isn't it? I mean,
0: yes, it is. And I I, listen. I just want to, because there are people who are watching or who are listening who are saying, "Larry, uh, (laughs) rolling their eyes." Yeah, the idea that belief in God has anything to do with me being a moral person is sheer nonsense. Well, no, it's not. Those of you who would say that haven't a leg to stand on. Now you can watch my debate with Christopher Hitchens, where we talked about this very topic, and 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 I think I annihilated um, Hitchens on this issue, because he wanted to argue this, and history doesn't support him in this at all. Not not at all. But let me borrow a line from David Berlinsky, who, by the way, is an agnostic, but borrow a, a paragraph from his book, The Devil's Delusion, where he says this, because I think he makes the point that I'm here making brilliantly. He says this, what Hitler did not believe, and by the way, David Berlinsky was part of the Varian Fry Jews. Varian Fry was, a, was an American. He was funded by a number of ph- uh, philanthropists who went to France to smuggle a Jewish intellectuals out of Europe who had fled, who had fled Germany, went to France. Um, Abby Mann was among them. Um, um, excuse me, Thomas Mann. <laughs> and uh, Abby Mann's an author. And uh, also, uh, Suddenly, her name's gone out out of out of my head. Um, Hannah Arndt was another oh, one. Wow. Well, I say that David was was one of them. He wasn't because he wasn't born until um, his parents were in the in the United States. But his father was a famous German conductor, but Jewish, and he was smuggled out of Europe and came to the United States. And David's three of David's grandparents were killed in the Holocaust. So David knows what he's talking about when he says this. What Hitler did not believe, and what Stalin did not believe, and what Mao did not believe, and what the SS did not believe, and what the NKVD did not believe, and what the commissars, functionaries, swaggering executioners, Nazi doctors, Communist Party theoreticians, intellectuals, brown shirts, black shirts, gall lighters, and a thousand party hacks did not believe was that God was watching. What they were doing. And as far as we can tell, very few of those carrying out the horrors of the 20th century worried over much that God was watching what they were doing either. That is, after all, the meaning of a secular society. Mm. Now, that's powerful. It is. And it does matter. But my point isn't that if you're a Christian, you're automatically a good person. I mean, Jesus, in teaching the disciples how to pray, calls them evil. Right. (laughs) which I think is interesting. And we've just, we've just referenced uh, Jeremiah 17, 9. So the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. We know that. So we become forgiven when we become uh, Christians, and we receive God's grace. But I think grace transforms us to the extent that we begin to exhibit it outwardly. And however bad I am now, I'm a little less evil than I would otherwise be if I were not a Christian, meaning it serves as a strength on my life.
1: I just wanted you to repeat that, because I think the most misunderstood part about Christianity is that Jesus didn't come for the great, the extra special, the most magnificent. Yeah. He came for the worst. And the ability that, that now we have, yes, we are forgiven, but we can realistically say, I am a little less bad. Yeah. I'm still bad.
0: Yeah,
1: um, It is refreshing to hear somebody like you say that. Because I think there's this misunderstanding that when you become a Christian, you become perfect. Yeah, and that holier absolutely than now, and you've got all it, not, of it together. It's yeah. not
0: true. I mean, no. I mean, one of the one of the most remarkable things about Scripture is about that. is that it records it records the, the heinous sins of Christians throughout yes. the Bible. You know, so that we have Moses, you know, committing murder. We have David committing adultery and murder. We have Peter, you know, um, committing a a, a terrible betrayal um, of Jesus. We these are all things that are recorded in Scripture for us. So this idea. Sometimes I laugh when I when I I take uh, tour groups to Europe, and I love to read cathedrals. Cathedrals are meant to be read, and so we'll be standing outside of a cathedral. I'll be showing people how to read a cathedral. And invariably, cathedrals have on them the 12 Hmm. disciples, or apostles, and um, and they usually have halos, you know, and this kind of thing. And I think, boy, <laughs> doesn't that just clash with the biblical yes. perception of who they are? Because they were not that, uh, not that at all. They were very fallen. I love what Evelyn Waugh, the, uh, the the famous British author, said. Somebody told him what a horrible person he was, and he said, "And imagine how much worse I would be if I were not a Christian."
1: <laughs> I th- I need to I need to put that above my. Desk. I love that. So, okay, two things. As we come back, um, we'll wrap it up. We have a stat of the week, and we also have a little bit of good news, maybe a little bit of entertainment news. So, you don't want to miss that. This is the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Okay, so how about a stat for the week? And Perhaps after that, a little good news, uh, because this stat of the week isn't exactly wonderful. Do you know what it is?
0: I, I do, because we're refilming this segment because I was just coughing my lung out just a minute ago. <laughs> so, so we're reshooting the segment. Reality. But let's play it. Let's play it like I don't know what. What is the stat of the week, Amy Beth?
1: It's not a good one.
0: What is it?
1: It is that the abortion rate in this country has risen to one in five pregnancies are terminated.
0: And where did that, Where does that data come from?
1: So it comes from the Guttmacher Institute, which is the arm of Planned Parenthood. So um, Planned their, Parenthood
0: is actually admitting this.
1: This is their research arm. So wow. whenever I was speaking on the subject of abortion, character education, <laughs> abstinence, any of that, way back in the day, um, I began to use the Guttmacher Institute. And they are actually perhaps better than some government organizations mm. at research because they're very wow. detailed. Um, But one in five pregnancies are aborted.
0: So that's not one in five teen pregnancies. That's not one in five among a specific demographic. It's one in five total pregnancies in the United States.
1: So we had been on a decline previous to uh, 2017. A decline in abortion. A a decline in abortion. excuse me. I'm really sorry about that. Um, But then after 2017, when they begin to track 2017 through 2020, one in five. Wow. And so another interesting fact, though, that goes along with it is that um, states like Illinois, for example, began to allow Medicaid funds hmm. to pay for abortions. So I think in that case, you can say you get what you pay for, and what you pay for is death.
0: Wow. One in five. It's not, it's, you can't sustain a population like that.
1: No, you cannot. And I've been reading a little bit more about that, and we are at um, a very precarious point. Hmm. In, a, in the life of our country hmm. in that regard. So how about because that's so heavy, some good news? Well
0: l- let me let me say this that that stat it it dovetails with the theme of this show, yes, which is gun violence and it does for this reason because again, this comes back to the war on God. If I believe that you're an object of special creation, if I believe there's a God who created you and who wanted you to be, that that obliges me to treat you in a very different way. Um, then if I believe, as we are teaching our young people, that you are, you and I are both a product of random chance and necessity, you're essentially saying that life is meaningless. And young people see through that immediately. I, I deal with a lot of high school and college age Um, people. And they immediately see through the hypocrisy of, at least many of them do, the hypocrisy of a culture that tells them on the one hand, in essence, your life is meaningless. And on the other, oh, give back to communities, give back to society, care for the environment, care about social justice. Why? Why should I care about anything other than myself? Because life is meaningless. There is no God. Um, I should just you know, live for myself and try to get as much out of this as I can for myself. So that's, that's one thing. On the other hand, we are demonstrating that that's what we believe as a society when we're annihilating our unborn. So we're annihilating our unborn, and then we're seeing mass shootings. You see, again, the government wants to address one and not the other. No, you're killing far more people. Than are you know mass shooters, but the two of them go together because we're we're sending um, uh, an immoral message um, to our citizens.
1: Wow, um, you know what? As an adopted person, and as someone who appreciates that my seventeen-year-old birth mom made it through an entire year of high school without. Ever telling anybody that I existed, but she had me, yeah. um, makes me more grateful the older that I get. Mm. Uh, the more that grandchildren come along, the yeah. more that we look forward to spending time with them, that we are absolutely, without question, as you said, annihilating, obliterating anything that we don't want. Yeah. We just get rid of it, and who cares? Except we do, because we know we were stamped with the image yeah. of God. God, and we are created in His image, which means we must care for the unborn. We must also care for their mothers, um, but we have to realize that violence begets violence, and to address the gun issue today in human life and to address abortion and ending human life is one and the same Life is sacred, yeah, and it's worth protecting.
0: Yeah, when you're encouraging violence, uh, you get it not only in the, uh, the broader culture, you get it in the womb.
1: Yeah, wow. So, a pivot, um, perhaps.
0: Yeah, this is, a, this is actually a new little segment that we're adding, and that is an entertainment segment. And um, just for fun, you know, did you see anything interesting this last week?
1: Actually, we did.
0: Okay, what did you we see? We
1: finally made it to Maverick.
0: Uh, the the uh the like Top Gun two or yes the sequel to the original yeah. Top Gun.
1: Were you a fan of the original? I,
0: I I was I was a huge fan of the original. I was when it, what 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 was I when that came out? That came out like eighty six, mm-hmm. so I, that would make me nineteen, you know, at the time. So prime age to love a movie like that. And I remember going with my college roommates to a. Um, a theater in Omaha, Nebraska. It was called the uh, the Indian Hills Theater, which was this. Uh, it was kind of a big deal. It was a panoramic Ooh. screen, this giant kind of panoramic screen. This was not IMAX or, or anything like that, but it was kind of surround sound and uh, visually spectacular. So I would feel like I'd need to see this one. And it, you went to the theater.
1: We went to the theater um, I actually became a member of whatever theater club would get me a few less dollars for you know my, for my ticket, a discount.
0: I didn't know there was such a thing. Yeah,
1: I didn't either, but I joined it just so I could get tickets, and it was actually fantastic. Hmm. It was one of those movies, you know, and I know that people you know hype something up and they're like, "Oh, it's as good as the first one," and you're like, "Yeah, it's really not. It was not good." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and I know that you sound that's like—
0: that's why I felt about Temple of Doom. <laughs>
1: yeah, that you know what the the first one was better. Um, I do love the Indiana Jones series, but this but one the was. the second one sucked. It, it was not very good. It was bad. It was very bad. Um, but I'll still watch it if it comes on TBS. Sure. In the weekend, you know. And, and,
0: and, and the Star Wars movie with Ewoks. That yeah, was, what was that? That was pretty I don't crappy too. I understand that. Was I, that Return of the Jedi? Because I, I thought. blocked it out. I thought you blocked it out of your memory. I, I thought um, The Empire Strikes Back was great. Yeah. I enjoyed that one. But yeah, so Top Gun 2. Maverick, Um, thumbs up, thumbs Thumbs down. Siskel, you know, what do you give us?
1: Thumbs up. The jacket, the patches on the jacket, there's a little story there. I encourage our listeners to go and figure that out. But the patches are the same.
0: Was there any LGBTQ stuff pushed in that movie? Zero. Awesome.
1: It was a great. Just
0: so Maverick feel wasn't good. Maverick wasn't gay or trans. No, in this one. Okay. No. so he wasn't like riding like side saddle or anything like that in his <laughs> in his you know F fifteen or F sixteen.
1: Go watch the movie. Okay, it's worth it. It's worth a twenty seven dollars a ticket.
0: Are you kidding me? Yeah, I am. Wow. No <laughs> wonder. Still, no wonder you expensive. joined the club. <laughs> okay, is this um? It was this your first time to the movie theater in a long time?
1: No, we didn't really stay home. You know, Chris had to work through the whole thing. So we went out when the theaters were open, and we'd be the only people okay. in the in the theater. However... I've been um, to a
0: theater in ages.
1: We love movies, and so that has always yeah. been our thing. I think it helps me see life. I see God in movies and, and themes. And this one was fantastic. It is worth the money. It's worth the time. The storyline is good. It's interesting. And it's one of those... In a in a very long time where you felt good about our country, really, yeah.
0: You know, I have. I, I think it's uh, you know, Philip, our uh, our tech guy. He um he had texted me that he was going um to see it, and um, I was curious what he would think about it. But he was telling me uh, this was his response. He said, "Uh, it was amazing, as good or potentially better than the first one. I can hardly believe it." Do you agree with that?
1: I agree with that. The flight I, scenes were. Unbelievable! And I understand
0: they're actually not CGI; they're like real. No, they're real,
1: and that was the other part. They're paying it's, like a
0: million dollars an hour to rent these planes yeah. or something.
1: Well, I, you know, was reading a little background on it because you do you, everything is so CGI, and now you see, and it's kind of disappointing because you're like, well, that kind of takes the fun of. Yeah, it kind of looks movies. cartoonish. But you know, Tom Cruise has always insisted on doing his own, and he's disguise. apparently a pilot. Like he is.
0: Yeah, like a serious pilot.
1: Like really and truly, just to see the way that they fly. Yeah. Um, in the air, no CGI, you can come, you can tell it's real, yeah, but it's authentic, yeah, worth it.
0: So, uh, uh, did you think it was better than the first one?
1: I think that it was as good or better than the first one. I would say popcorn buckets, there are six in our family, well, seven now. I have a son in law, I would say it's seven overflowing popcorn buckets.
0: And if um, people are wanting to take their children, can they take them to this? Absolutely. Okay.
1: I don't even remember if there were. Is there was any language? I don't think that there was. Usually, my language sensor goes off.
0: I would. I would forgive some language, like blowing up some bad guys.
1: And they, you know, there in be some, be some of um, them. There is <laughs> some language, but it's not in some of those movies that you think. Gosh, I need to apologize if that bothers people. Yeah. Um. Don't see this movie? No. Take your kids. I, in fact, we saw a whole family walking in with Sex their little scenes? ones. Zero. No
0: zero sex scenes interesting zero. that's very interesting because that that it, well
1: it, it that makes tip-toed. sense that's
0: an element in the first one it
1: tiptoed that way
0: but it was heterosexual
1: it was a boy <laughs> and a girl okay wow well
0: there we go well that movie um i you know i think i think i will go with my boys to see it based on your recommendation i think i want to go so that sounds fabulous
1: yeah So, you know what, everybody, thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Larry Alex Taunton Show. Uh, We hope that you will give us a five star review. And please like this, spread the word, and we'll see you next time.
0: Turn out the lights. The party's over. They say that all. Ladies and gentlemen. We are grateful for the standing ovation, but there will be no encore for today's performance. Please exit the building in an orderly fashion. Thank you. Honey, can we leave now?